welcome to episode 105 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that runs so much interaction that the whole pod complains about it, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott, and I'm joined by the Academy manufacturer themselves, Chris, aka your Commander Mechanic. How are you doing today, bud? Oh, Scott, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. This is my first time guesting on the show, mm-hmm. and I am super excited for it. Uh, you and I have been going back and forth for a while, and you've guessed it on yeah. my channel twice now at this point uh yes once on a podcast and once as a guest voiceover just recently so mm. uh, i am excited to be here on the bm cast how about you how are you yeah. doing my friend i'm good i have a lot of stuff going on but before we talk about me tell the listeners a little bit about yourself you're the esteemed <laughs> guest you need to let them know that all the great things that you do well hey look you you stole my bit with the your commander mechanic so uh, I guess I'll take that from the top but uh, hey folks I'm Chris and I'm your commander mechanic uh, you can find me everywhere fine content is made uh, ranging from YouTube to TikTok to Twitter and everywhere in between I help people with deck building whether it be cool brews deck building advice or ways to craft a better play experience I also write bi-weekly for commander's herald in an article entitled mechanical engineering where I talk about building a better play experience before you ever sit down at a table and crafting that play experience through deck building. Uh, And uh, as you can tell from all of that, my forte is building and brewing. Uh, I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have been labeled the most prolific deck builder in the community, which uh, is a, a title that I will gladly take because uh, we're here halfway through the year, and I've got about uh, 120 decks to my name for the year. Jesus so far. Christ! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's a lot. Like, uh, I knew it was a lot, but like not that much. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that, that's what happens when you do uh, like two or three brews a week, and then you do a charity mm. event where you do a brew a day each year as well yeah. so it gets to be quite a bit uh but from that mm. i get a good handle on building just about anything for the format whether it be archetypes mm. power levels or ways to play in different play groups uh, i get a lot yeah. of q a and i do a lot of viewer submitted requests and questions Uh, both Mm -hmm. on my channel, through my Discord, on Twitter, and everywhere else. Uh, So I get to see a lot of what people are doing, uh, especially from perhaps the not most engaged audience, which is the Mm -hmm. vocal minority, which we might see quite a lot of as content creators for this format. We see a lot of the vocal people commenting on uh, videos and podcasts or replying on Twitter, I prefer to work with the people that reach out and say, look, I've just started playing the format. Uh, What do I do here? Or uh, I'm just getting back into it. Or I've played nothing but kitchen table and now I want to play at my LGS. Those are the people that I really like engaging with because it gives me a view of what this format looks like at completely different scales than some people focus in on. It's really weird to see that some people focus only on their very narrow wedge of what they see from the format, and they make all of their decisions based on their experiences alone. I like going outside of my personal experiences, talking to a lot of people, getting their feedback, helping them, because it just means that I get to see more of what some people don't, what some people turn a blind eye to, or what some people don't go out of their way to see as well it it gives a very very high view of the range of capabilities of this format 
yeah, you're dead on there. And going outside your comfort zone only expands your comfort zone. So yes, absolutely, you know? absolutely, and, and that that's something that personally I found as well. I talked about my history in this format and how I started at the kitchen table, like many people do, uh, and my personal play group crept up in power level to the point where I was playing CDH at the oh. kitchen table. Uh, and we, we did that classic arms race of power levels yeah. where people were building decks to beat other people's decks. And before you know it, we're all playing CEDH decklist database decks. Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't until I went out of my comfort zone and started playing with a bunch of different play groups that I realized yeah. that not even that play group that I was playing CEDH with wanted to mm-hmm. play CEDH. We sat down and yeah. we had the conversation. They're like, hey, can we just play goofy decks again? And we were like, yes, all for it. So uh, yeah. it, it, it takes all sorts to know what you really want to do in this format. And if you yeah. just put on those blinders and you zoom in on one aspect of the, the format alone, you miss out on so much. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, you've always had a very good sort of mind and, and perspective on the format. I very much like that. Because you have an, you have like such a wide variety when it comes to your content and stuff as well. Like I keep looking at all the budget brew ideas. They're the first things I go to because I'm, I'm sometimes finding some card of the week sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like some interesting commanders that I hadn't thought about trying to brew on a budget or this kind of thing. But the variety of stuff is there. And like you said, you, you do it so much. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Like I record a podcast on a Sunday. I edit it on a Monday. I, I think about an article for a couple of days and then I'm, I'm, I'm checked out. I'm done. Like well, <laughs> I don't, the amount that you do is astounding. So uh, just a couple of weeks back, I did my budget battle box, which is Mm -hmm. an exercise that I do every year where I take the summer set and I build four decks uh, that are meant to be played against each other. So it's four $50 decks that you're meant to carry around and you sit down at a game night and somebody who didn't bring a deck can play one of those decks against the rest of the pod and it's balanced against each other. Uh, I sat down... Uh, on a Friday night and was like struck by inspiration Mm -hmm. and brewed all four of those decks in the span (laughs) of two hours. I brewed all four of them in parallel because I was looking at budget and I was looking at uh, at power level against each other. So it was, this card's in, how does that fare against the rest of them? Does it shut down any of the decks unfairly? If that's the case, I'm not going to include that. So I built all four of them Mm. in parallel, and in about two hours I had built four decks balanced against each other. So when I build a deck, right, I use my two screens here. One has, like, Architect on it, the other has, like, Scryfall on it and EDH track. How many screens do you have for this? Like... (laughs) (laughs) So believe it or not, I only run two screens. Uh, in, in this case, when I was building four decks in parallel, uh-huh. uh, I had each of them half-windowed mm-hmm. with Moxfield up, and Moxfield has integrated Scryfall search. So I was able to use yeah. Moxfield's uh, search capabilities using Scryfall in order to do those searches and run those. Mm-hmm. And my deck building process is typically I'll fill out core synergy packages, I'll yeah. build out the staples from there, I'll fill out the land base, and then any pieces that I'm missing, I'll go and I'll look at similar decks and see Mm. if there's anything that I can pluck from those. Uh, So if I don't reach 100 right away, uh, 100 cards in the deck right away, I'll go and I'll fill in the gap. I am not the kind of person who builds like 150-card decks and then have to pare down by 50 cards. 
I, I build from the center out. So I'm typically like, hey, I've got 92 cards in this deck. Let's go find mm. eight cards that work. Nice. Yeah. Okay. That was a great intro. <laughs> that was a really good intro. It, it possibly the most detailed intro that we've ever had. Have you rehearsed this? Have you rehearsed uh, this, Chris? No, I just love talking about this format. So <laughs> you, you give me an opportunity to talk and yeah. I'll talk. <laughs> yeah, we are very alike. So yeah. <laughs> just a, a couple of little updates from myself and what I've been doing lately. So I mentioned last week on the podcast that I was rejigging some of my commander decks lately and I've taken some of them on some final retirement games in the past couple of days. You know, two of them are now gone forever. Marit of the Frost, Everything Tribal and Raumi of the Dead Tide, just generic graveyardy reanimating stuff. And I'm going to be replacing them with something new over the next couple of weeks. I haven't fully decided yet, but I've got a couple of ideas and um, we might see them on the, the stream shortly enough. And I have been playing a lot of Pauper lately. I've been really enjoying the format. I know it's not quite your thing, Chris, but at least it's budget. That's something, you know? Absolutely. And with Double Masters 22, uh, it is a fantastic mm. time to get into Popper too. There's been a ton of those rarity downshifts that yeah. have gotten a lot of people interested in it, that's for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Like Monastery Swiftsphere and Dark Dweller Oracle as well for the Goblin Combo deck and stuff. Yeah, there's loads of stuff going on there. Yeah. Uh, also, the Gates from Baldur's Gate have actually been making a huge impact. Basilisk Gate, being able to like pump creatures equal Very to the cool. number of gates you have is pretty fantastic. I have put a bunch of decks together in the last week, the most recent being like an aggressive Boro Synthesizer list that loops Experimental Synthesizer with Core Skyfisher to like be able to play it and replay it and get that like value engine going. Very cool. And it's so much fun. I'm also in the popper seat for my team that's going to be playing in the Team Trios event this weekend in Dublin. So I'm trying to get as much practice in as possible. And I still haven't decided on a deck. <laughs> I'm confident in my abilities, but not in what I have available. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. This week's article, by the way, just a quick little plug, is uh, how to build more interesting decks in Commander. So I talk about three different ways to approach deck building. It might give you a new perspective on brewing to be able to make something special. So that is up on Card Kingdom. You can read that after the show. And on a minor life update, because I think it's important to shine a light on these things and not shy away from talking about mental health stuff and everything, but I have gotten my ADHD meds dosage upped after the first trial so i was on a basic like a low dosage for two weeks to make sure that like my body was okay with the medication and i didn't like you know drop dead or something and now that they're okay with that they're like now we're going to give you a proper dosage and you know i had the first dosage today and like within an hour of me taking it i like i could feel that i was like jittery and like restless and you know like something is definitely there i, th I think it's more side effects than anything right now which will you know taper off after a while but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I've at least got a bit more focus and, you know, that's pretty good. So I'm excited to see how this progresses. But yeah. Excellent. Good to hear. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BM cast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, 
We'll make sure you get your stonks on. All right. So, Chris, as you are our lovely esteemed guest today, it is tradition card of the week. So what card have you got for us today? Oh, so I've got one that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, Anybody that follows uh, what I like to do and what I love to do in this format more than anything, it is to make copies of things. Uh, I love cloning effects. Uh, I think that the most broken thing to do in a singleton format is have multiple copies of a card. Uh, It it just goes crazy. And you introduced me as the Academy Manufacturer, and making (laughs) multiple copies of an Academy Manufacturer is possibly the most ridiculous thing that you can do uh in my opinion at least which is why i love it so Mm -hmm. much it involves my favorite card academy manufacturer and making copies which is my favorite thing to do uh so card of the week is something that plays into that it is Mm. the enchantment dance of many so this is a double blue enchantment and when it enters the battlefield you make a token copy of a creature. Then at the beginning of your upkeep, you've got to pay double blue again, or you sacrifice the enchantment and the token copy. Uh, Mm. But there are very, very few effects that let you copy something at two mana. Uh, And Dance of Many being like 75 cents uh, is ridiculously good. Basically at two Mm. mana, you get uh, Phantasmal Image or Dance of Many, and that's it. And I love it. I think that it is absolutely incredible. You get to uh, copy anything, which is mm-hmm. stellar, because getting twice as many enters the battlefield effects or twice as many of a static ability or an activated yeah. ability is really, really good. Uh, and recently, there's been a combo introduced with Astral Dragon, which is okay. out of the precons for Battle yeah. for Baldur's Gate. And it's a massive eight-mana dragon, but it says when it enters the battlefield make two copies of a non-creature permanent. There are three, three creatures. So with Dance of Many, you can make uh, copies of Dance of Many, (laughs) which make copies of Astral Dragon, which make copies of Dance of Many, which make copies of Astral Dragon, and you end up just making infinite dragons and three, three Dance of Many's, which is is pretty cool. I I personally love this card. It is in my uh, my favorite deck, my signature deck, my Too Many Gyrudas deck, which is all about making <laughs> yeah. as many copies of Gyruda Doom of Depths as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's getting a uh, fancy reprint in the upcoming Fortnite secret layer yes, as well. It is, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's kind of in the spotlight right now. I, I think at about 75 cents, it's a fantastic pickup right now. Yeah. For, for anybody that wants a, a clone effect, it is incredible. This is so good. I remember seeing this card years ago. Like, not too long after I started playing. Because I think I remember opening up, like, Magic Online and, like, the art that was on when you open Magic Online was the art from Dance of Many. And I was like, what is this? This art is so weird. And I, I found it. And it was Dance of Many. I was like, this this makes no sense. It's nonsense. Like, my, you know, new player brain was like, there's too much words on that. I don't know what's <laughs> happening, you know? Right, right. But this is so good. I only just now copped it that this would actually be really good in my Caliphate mono blue devotion deck because yeah. it's cheap it's sleeveless so i don't want to you know riffle shuffle like a lot of expensive cards For so real. this is great 
It's double blue pips for the devotion, mm-hmm. and it makes a copy of something. Yeah, I'm on board, 100%. I'm, in fact, adding one to cart as we speak. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, again, it, it is it is one of my favorites, and it's super underplayed and underappreciated. Mm. It does everything that I want something to do in Commander at a mana value that this effect is very rare at. Once you get up into yeah. three mana, you get the quasi-duplicates and the Cackling Counterpart. Uh, yeah. So you've got a couple of those, uh, and then when you get up into four, you get all of the really good clones. Yeah. But at two, like I said, you get Dance of Many and you get uh, Phantasmal Image. That's a hit. Yeah. So it's real good. It's real good. Even if you don't pay the mana on the upkeep, like just making a copy of like someone's Dockside or something is absurd. Just getting the ETV for real. Is for real. It, it is. It is so good. Uh, and so sometimes all you need is that like that that quick etb or like Mm. a double etb and even better if you've got token synergies as well because it makes a token copy of the creature as well so if you've got this in something that uh you can make multiple copies of say you've got a doubling season out and now you're making two token copies of the creature that you're doubling like yeah (laughs) it it, it starts to get really really crazy because clones are real good again it's it's my favorite thing to do uh and this is one of my favorite like underrated gems for that archetype so sweet so so sweet all right so moving on from that we are going to be talking about commander staples on a budget so this is a topic that you brought to the table that you wanted to have a little chat about so Hit me with the premise. So I I, want to do a little bit of uh, a dive into why people feel staples are necessary. I I recently did a series on the channel, just a series of shorts, which you helped guest on, Mm -hmm. uh, where I took what people perceive as some of the heavy hitters in the format and then recommended some alternates to them so that people can uh, say, hey, I don't need Crater Hoof Behemoth in my deck, I can run this instead at a fraction of the cost. I don't need to run yeah. Cyclonic Rift in my deck. I can run, say, Evacuation in my deck at, you know, pennies on the dollar, right? So a, a lot of people look at the good cards in this format and say, I need to be playing that. And those good cards mm. that they can be looking at are things like Ristic Study or Demonic yeah. Tutor. Right, the the ones that people say this is definitely going to make my deck perform better, right? Yeah. However, they look at it from maybe the perspective of what are other people running, or they look at it at the perspective of what is a more tuned deck running, or what mm. are the decks on EDH rec running? I need yeah. to be running those. That shuts off a lot of possibilities in saying. What alternatives are there to not running the best of the best all the time, right? How do I get something that has a similar effect that doesn't make me shell out, you know, $50 for a single card, right? Uh, Not everybody has the funds to, you know, pay $30 for a single card. Some people build their entire decks on a $30 budget. and. Uh, having just built four $50 decks as well, I can't spare $30 for one card in a $50 deck. Yeah, right. So so looking for alternatives to that is very, mm-hmm. very important. So I want to go into why people feel staples are necessary and then how you can look for things that do something similar 
and why it's yeah. actually a good thing to not play the best of the best in the format all the time. Yeah. Okay? Awesome. So first is, like, I, I want to do a little bit of a diagnosis on why people feel like they need to be playing staples, right? In, in your opinion, Scott, uh, how do you feel about quote unquote and I, i'm going to refer mm -hmm. to them as staples here but the the cards that people feel like they need to be including in mm -hmm. each color in each deck just because they do something really really good right yeah they're they're fine they're they're excellent flexible tools to some degree um like particularly you now obviously because you know you and i both do budget stuff particularly the more affordable ones you know like your source supply shares or generous gifts or that kind of thing or treasure cruise or whatever they're all great staples to have for us content creators it's very easy to just throw them into a deck and be like look they're they're just good they're mm -hmm. fine mm -hmm. they might not be the most synergistic thing but honestly if we're churning out 100 odd decks in the first half of the year we can't <laughs> go looking for the most synergistic thing in every single one of them so sometimes stuff like swords and all that kind of thing beast within that sort of stuff perfect brilliant excellent but the more expensive those quote-unquote staples become, the more I start to dislike them because of an accessibility standpoint. Like, when you start putting those kind of things, at least from a creator perspective, into decks, and you start throwing this out, and, like, every single deck that people see from you is, like, six $700 because every single red deck has a Dockside, and every single white deck has a Smothering Tithe. When people start seeing that they, like, newer players in particular coming into the format, they see these six $700 decks, and they're like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. This is very expensive, mm -hmm. and that I don't like. Personally, from a deck-building perspective, I am, as a player a very different kind of player than a lot of people. A lot of people want to just pick up a deck and be able to play something good and fun and have a great time, and that's great. I love to get very granular with the stuff. I want to run very specifically synergistic things that are better in niche scenarios because that's where you create these interesting and fun moments, and I much prefer that, but I'm also aware of how much time that can sometimes take mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to have to go and dig for those kind of things. But... With that said, there's still, like like we're going, probably going to be talking about here now, is there's like a swath of other alternatives that are still good. They're still just good overall, but people aren't aware of them because the likes of Rift and that kind of thing are just thrown in everyone's face all the time and be like, oh, you're in blue, you're running Rift, you know, or yeah. you're running Rustic Study. And yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I personally love it when I can sit down across from a deck and somebody pulls out a card that I have never seen or heard yes. of before. Because for me, that's the moment of, sorry, what's that called? What does that card do? <laughs> Why is reader. that card really good in that deck? <laughs> like, the, yeah. the, those are the kind of moments that, for me, are, uh, like, they, they really showcase somebody's love for a list when they yeah. can pull out, like, a really niche, really obscure card that works just absolutely perfectly in their deck. That lets me know that somebody's put that time and that care and that research into what is the perfect card for this list, not what yeah. is the perfect card in this format. Because uh, what a yeah. lot of people miss is when they're sitting down and they're looking at, say, taking their first pre-con and upgrading it, if they're like, uh, oh, hey, Cyclonic Rift is really good, it's $35, or I could revamp this entire deck for $35. Yeah. Uh, if you're spending you know, 30 to $50 or heavens forbid over a hundred dollars on a card. Keep in mind that it is one of a hundred cards. Yeah. 
and that you are going to go your average game without ever seeing that card. Sure, it can come up two or three times in a row, but it's a 1 in 100 chance that you're going to be seeing a card at any time. So Mm -hmm. spending the majority of your, say, upgrade budget or your build budget on one or two cards means that the rest of the deck suffers for it because you've got to keep your budget that much lower or you've got to ensure that you're running pieces that are decent at all times and that loses out on some of that synergy and that loses out on some of that cool factor because you're saying the rest of the deck needs to be at a baseline viability because the most of my upgrade budget the most of my deck building budget is has gone into two or three cards right i i've seen people that say uh hey chris i just bought this pre-con i want to upgrade it yeah what three cards would you recommend that I add to this deck? And I say, three cards? You want to upgrade a deck by adding three cards to yeah. it? I, like, if, you, if you're if you saying, hey, look, I want to take this pre-con, I want to remove three cards, I want to add three cards, I, I would say take what you want to spend on those three cards and spread that out across the deck. Change 20% yeah. of the deck, not 3% of it. Because I, I get people that are like, uh, hey, I took out a basic land and I put in an ancient tomb. What mm-hmm. other two cards can I add to this deck? And I'm like, oh, Jeez. I feel so bad for you because <laughs> you're probably never going to see that ancient tomb yeah. in the majority of your games. you got no way to tutor it up. You, you're just expecting blind luck to draw into it. So for somebody to spend on upgrading a deck or spend on adding something to a deck... To have it be a, I might see this once in a while, that mm. feels real bad. And for the people that may have these pieces around already, so for somebody who's coming from, say, a different format, somebody's coming from a standard or modern, and they're coming into Commander, and they say, well, I've got these really expensive pieces, I can mm. just throw them into my decks. Perfect. Like that. Good for you. If you yeah. want to do that, absolutely. If you feel like that, that's what you want to do, uh, just keep in mind that there is that heart and soul to finding a piece that's perfect for a deck as opposed to mm-hmm. putting in a piece that is just always baseline good. I, I typically yeah. always speak to ceilings and floors when it comes mm-hmm. to evaluating a card. So uh, floor being a baseline power floor, how good is it if you've got nothing else on the board and you top deck it? Mm-hmm. And a ceiling... If you've got an established board, if you've got all your synergies running, how good is it then? And baseline good cards like Ristic Study or Cyclonic Rift or just Tutors, which can go get you any card in your deck, they have just a floor to them. There's basically no ceiling to them. If you want to run decks that are all floor and no ceiling, sure, just keep in mind that it might not be the coolest thing it might not get to pop off. It might not get to do the thing yeah. if you don't have a thing that you're doing, if it's just be good all the time. Right, yeah. Like, you'll often see, you know, a perfect example of this kind of stuff is actually CEDH lists because a lot of the time you will have, like, these more, like, controlling decks or these more mid-range decks where they share roughly 70 to 80 cards between each other when you see these lists. And mm-hmm. that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's great. But if you're there to play like a fun kitchen table game or like chill game with your pod or something like that putting in those kind of things sure it'll 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 up your win percentage but like it's not 
necessarily going to lead to the best experience. And considering there's no prizes at stake for coming first, you know, like the, the best you'll get is a pat on the back and then reshuffle. Like, yeah, you know, finding those other alternatives to these staples super super important to giving decks longevity as well because if you find that like if you've like 10 decks every single one of them that has blue has a rift or every single one of them that's green has a crater hoof they're all going to start feeling a bit samey like it's going to spread across the the decks like sure they're going to be powerful they're going to just do powerful things mm-hmm. but they're not going to have their own kind of identity. I'm going to take a jab at like Jund in Modern as a great example <laughs> on another format. Like you're just full of powerful cards, but you're kind of mopey. That's kind of uh, how it feels. And uh, Modern Jund is where I go when I talk about floors. <laughs> if I talk about a high power floor deck, I talk about Jund in Modern because it is just a good stuff pile. Uh, yeah. it, like uh, Money Pile, uh, which is yeah. the new 4C good stuff deck that's coming out of Modern right now. It's called Money Pile because it's just a pile of really expensive cards. It's and fucking $2,000. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But, but it, it, I mean, do you want your commander decks to be like that? This is just a yeah. hundred of the most expensive cards that I can wrangle together. Yeah. If that's the case, what kind of identity does it have? Uh, I've been seeing people report on this just because I'm very interested in it. Uh, and the 4C Money Pile players are having a miserable time playing these decks because there's no soul to them there's there's no there's no challenge to them there's no uh interplay or interaction to them in terms of how your your cards synergize with each other it is just i'm gonna play good stuff and i'm it's it's yeah it's raw power and it's less about how they interact and more about just taking the best possible line like if you are the spikiest spiky spiky player then this deck is not going to bother you at all you're just going to have a great time but if you're anyone else you are just going to get tired of it you know you will just get sick of these kind of things because there's no there's no flow to them you know there's no sense of uniqueness exactly exactly and uh, i i say to a lot of people is that what you want to bring to commander commander Mm -hmm. is the format that is about expression through your deck building Build the deck that you want to build. Don't feel like you have to include certain cards yeah. in a deck just because they're good. Uh, a lot of people say playing bad cards makes you a better player or enriches Agreed. your experience. And that is 100% the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can win a game playing bad cards or just synergy pieces, mm-hmm. uh, then good on you you have you have done something that people may look at your list and say what is this pile of garbage and you might <laughs> say this is my pile of garbage and it's going yeah. to kick your ass uh, yeah. and it, <laughs> if you can do that then then that i think that that's like uh that's the achievement unlocked moment in commander yeah absolutely like take another format as an example that you know all of the good players or pro players or whatever will tell you to improve as a player go play limited limited Mm -hmm. is nothing but bad cards Mm -hmm. so if you take that concept and you put that to commander and this is something I, i believe as well on a very slight aside is that like if you want to be a good brewer or a good deck builder you need to be able to build at any kind of price level or power level particularly price level because it forces you to get creative it forces you to find these alternatives and stuff and 
the necessity sort of creates the innovation. I, I think that that is 100% nail on the head. I, I've been facing a few inquiries lately that have said, uh, my, my deck is terrible unless I get Ristic Study out, or mm. my deck doesn't do the thing unless I get Smothering Tithe. Yeah. So a lot of people rely on these as crutches rather mm -hmm. than staples. And I think that that's a fault in deck building because you haven't built your deck to survive without these pieces. What happens if somebody pays their taxes? What happens if somebody removes this piece? Are you just going to sit there and say, well, my deck's not going to do the thing for the rest yeah. of the game? Are you beelining to these staples to say, my deck doesn't win unless I get a Crater Hoof out? Yeah. Or, you know, I can't get my commander out unless I get a Jessica's Will, mm -hmm. right? If I, if I get that early, then my game's good. Or do I get a Dockside out? on turn two, make five treasures, and suddenly I'm mm -hmm. five turns ahead of the rest of my opponents. Uh, yeah. If that's the only case that your deck can do the thing, is if you get one of these staple cards, you need to revisit your deck from the ground up to ensure that it's more consistent without these pieces. And I think that the first step in that is removing these pieces and seeing what more you can do. A fantastic yeah. exercise is the one that, that we did on my channel recently where we took a look at some of these staples and we said, here are three or four cards that you could be running instead of these mm -hmm. staples at a fraction of the cost. Because if yeah. you're relying on a Cyclonic Rift for your game plan to be good, why not run four variations on Cyclonic Rift each at a fraction of the cost, right? Yeah. Or if you can only win if you've got a Smothering Tithe out, Here's four white cards that ramp you, right? Yeah. That you could be running instead of or in tandem with Smothering Tides so that your deck does the thing more consistently. Right? Yeah. So uh, talking about some of these uh, these budget replacements, we, we talked Crater Hoof. Crater Hoof is like, mm. I would say, the classic green win con, right? Yeah. If, if you're in green, uh, one of my most frustrating facts is if you're in like a mono green list, You've got two ways to win. It's through combat damage or with Helix Pinnacle. That is it. Those are the those are the only ways that you're winning in green. And Basically, if you want to go yeah. the combat damage route, it's Crater Hoof Behemoth. Mm. Uh, everybody looks at that, but Crater Hoof Behemoth is an expensive card. It is. Yeah. But it's not a unique effect. There are a few effects that get you that. There's Endraise mm. Forerunners, which for the same mana value gets you a smaller pump but adds vigilance on top of that. Uh, on a bigger average body at 7-7, seven, seven, Vigilance, mm -hmm. Trample, Haste, right? Uh, there's uh, Kamal, Heart of Croza as well. Oh, yeah. That's uh, basically an overrun effect every combat, which is mm. very, very good. And these cards are, like, less than $5. There's also just overrun. Like, it's still a good card. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, and I... I mean, Overwhelming Stampede is another great one as well. If you've yeah. got a 4-4 four, four out, Overwhelming Stampede gives your entire board plus 4, plus 4, and trample. Like, yeah. that that's something that you can pull out on turn 5. Like, you can curve a 1-drop, a 2-drop, a 3-drop, a 4-drop, and then Overwhelming Stampede, and you can eliminate somebody from the game. <laughs> like that, yeah. It is just uh, one of those things that you can do. Uh, but, I mean, people zone in on... You know, I'm going to make 100 tokens and then drop Crater Hoof Behemoth and I'm going to take everybody out at once. Yeah. There are effects that you can use to do that that aren't Crater Hoof. And it, it's important for people to understand that as well. 
not not just in green too you can venture into mm. other colors to get that kind of effect too right True. if you're going wide uh look at cathar's crusade which is in my a opinion <laughs> the mathiest enchantment in all of commander yeah. uh but if you're if you're going wide and you're making tokens it's immediately going to make all of your tokens like three threes four fours five fives yeah. and that gets real good real fast it does absolutely and like i was saying earlier i was playing pauper earlier on and the boros aggro lists have something in it that would do something similar in red white and that is rally the peasants it could sound silly right but just two and a white instant with flashback for two and a red creatures you control get plus two plus oh until end of turn that's all it is there's no additional stuff but if you're running like tokens you're going wide and like you just pay six mana into this and your creatures are getting an additional four power each, like, people are going to die, yep. you know? And that's that's a two-cents card, you know? And maybe it maybe it lines up with what you're doing. Maybe you got, like, a couple of spell-slingery-based things in there that are generating tokens, like Young Pyromancer, which means it'll make more tokens, or this kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's about finding those little connections. But while it's important to be able to try and find these alternatives, actually finding these alternatives in the first place can be tricky, especially if you haven't started doing it before. Mm-hmm. And... I think one of the best ways to certainly feel free to add to this or say otherwise, but I think one of the most important things for finding these things in the first place is to actually identify what part of the staple is the part that you want to replicate. Mm -hmm. Like I'll use an example with Cyclonic Rift. I often use River's Rebuke Mm -hmm. because like, I don't care much about the, the instant speed. I like the fact that with sorcery speed, it creates some tension. I have to go shields down for a minute. Mm-hmm. There's an increase in the dramatics in a game for doing that instead of keeping yourself safe and protected all the time. And targeting a single player with River's Rebuke means that the game gets to continue. Mm-hmm. That one player who flew a little too close to the sun, they're getting punished by their hubris now, but everybody else is not getting splash damage from that. That, to me, makes, for my games, River's Rebuke a better card, which saves me roughly 30 three thirty four dollars right per blue commander deck exactly yeah, yeah. and i i think that that you touch on a few fantastic points there one one is tension and i will always say if somebody's got a grip of five cards and mm-hmm. they pass the turn with seven mana up you know the cyclonic rift is coming yeah like that the, there's no tension to be like are they going to cyclonic rift no <laughs> they they just pass the turn with seven mana up and multiple cards in hand they're, yeah. they're going to Cyclonic Rift. Uh, but the other part, and the, I think the more cromulent part here, is mm-hmm. uh, if you're looking for a specific effect, finding other cards that, that do that thing, but on different scales or different ways, is yeah. incredibly important. And I love Scryfall for this. I will yeah. very often take a snippet of rules text from a card that i like and i want to find multiple copies of and just do a search in scryfall for that line of text so creatures you control get right throw that into scryfall set it to your commander's color identities and see what it comes back with and if that's the case see if there's anything in that like it might spit a hundred cards out to you go through the four pages of cards and and see oh that actually fits really well in my deck or that goes well with what i'm doing um or yeah. you know return all permanence right throw that into scryfall and see how many effects return all permanence right whether mm-hmm. it's all permanence you control whether it's all permanence opponents control whether it's all permanence all players control find out what those effects look like 
and see what works for your deck. Maybe you're trying to find a specific mana value. Maybe it's got to fit in your mana curve somewhere. Uh, maybe it's got to be uh, just instance or just sorcery speed, or you don't mind returning your creatures because you want to recast your creatures, right? Mm. Or maybe you want to recast all of your permanents, whatever it might be. There are a lot of ways to get those effects that you might not be looking at because maybe you've zoned in on Cyclonic Rift is the best of the best. I have to be running it. Yeah. Nobody is twisting your arm to run specific cards in this format. Nobody is saying you have to run these cards, right? Uh, like, yeah. I'll, I'll take Tutors as a prime example. Everybody's right now just over the moon with the reprint on, of Imperial Seal. Yeah. Right, everybody's like, "Hey, Imperial Seal for the first time ever isn't six hundred dollars." <laughs> Imperial Seal isn't even the best tutor out there, but people yeah. are just going crazy about it right now. It is the huge chase card because it's been reprinted for the first time in Double Masters twenty two. Uh, but you don't have to shell out over a hundred dollars for an, an Imperial Seal, uh, mm. even a demonic tutor that's running thirty to forty dollars. You you don't need to play it. There are budget options that get you the same thing right uh i brought up uh profane tutor which is the suspend tutor uh that's great that it it's less than a dollar right it is it's a demonic tutor on layaway if you can wait the two turns to tutor after paying for it perfect like it's going to do everything that you want to do and even better if it synergizes with say a cascade build if you're cascading and you cast a one drop and you're looking for something that costs zero it's perfect to cascade into but people might be saying well why am i not just running demonic tutor instead well look at the ceilings and look at the floors demonic tutor at a base level at the floor might be a higher power level but profane tutor has a much higher ceiling on it because you could cast it for free in some instances or you might cast it this turn and having something in mind that you want to go search up but two turns later something has happened to the board state and now you can go search up and cast something at a higher mana value so those are instances where people need to look at not just what is the best out there but what is better for my deck or what could i be doing do i want to build for the floor the power value floor or do i want to build for the power ceiling I am always an advocate of building closer to the ceiling than the floor, but ensuring that you've got cards that can still do things if you draw them off the top. Exactly, yeah. The other thing that I think is important to point out as well with these kind of staples, right, is they are associated with higher power, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Crater Hoof, okay, sure, it's a bit more of a, like, casual, Timmy, big, splashy wing con kind of thing, and that's cool, but if someone plays Heuristic Study at my table, like on my stream, for example, I will be suspect of it mm-hmm. because it tells me that if the rest of the deck is like this, it's likely not at the right power level that we had discussed. And now this has never happened, but like it's in that kind of scenario, you know, or like Cyclonic Rift a little less so. I'm starting to see more and more people use it for like single targets and mm-hmm. stuff, but... The thing is that, like, when you see these things, they tend to be played in higher power decks in general. And I think this kind the staples, in my opinion, could be a huge contributing factor to, you know, the whole nitro casual concept where 
everybody is just running really powerful stuff and it almost starts like you were saying earlier where it starts to feel a bit like an arms race in the format in general Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and these staples because of their innately high power it's contributing to that yes it's absolutely contributing to that every time a psych rift or a rhystic or a tithe or whatever makes it into a deck or a dockside, anything. That is contributing to the overall average power level that people perceive in the format and will adjust their deck building accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a few really interesting conversations with people lately about the homogenization of the format Mm -hmm. that these really good cards that have been released are leading towards. I'm going to lean on my weeb here for a minute and Mm -hmm. refer to My Hero Academia. There's a concept in that called the Quirk Singularity, where Mm -hmm. quirks interbreed with each other to the point where people are going to be gods in a matter of generations. Commander's heading towards the same thing, where if we get these really powerful cards printed regularly and the availability is there that they're going to be in everybody's hands, then we're going to reach a point where the format is just no limits, breaks off Nitro all the time. And that leads to the the singularity, the homogenization of the format. If every white deck is running Smothering Tithe, if every blue deck is running Rhystic Study, then that removes some of the soul from the format. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the only thing that regulates that right now is people choosing not to play these cards, but there's yeah. no incentive not to play these cards because they are just always good. Exactly. And one thing that I think might be able to help sort of not remedy this, but like help you with coming up with alternatives or coming up with them like reasons. If you need a reason to run something or to not run something, think of maybe doing challenges, right? So maybe think of like the the first deck that I think of every time I think of a challenge is Lenny Woolley's Urza Lord High Artificer Gumball the deck. Gumball deck. Every yeah. single card in the deck, apart from Urza is 25 cents or less. Mm-hmm. That means there's no Psychrift. There's no, none of that stuff. It's impossible to fit it in. Yep. And I'm doing one similarly at the moment with Hinata Dawn Crowned, and I have no good options. Like, I can't put in my Helios Intervention to absolutely ruin everyone's day. I can't put in those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I have to now start getting creative and, like, putting those parameters on the deck before I even start means that I'm setting myself a nice little challenge and it is fun and interesting to do. But if you need a reason to not run these things, set a challenge Mm -hmm. so that you can then, you know that within this challenge that you're setting that you can't do these things. Like it could be just a cost limit. It could be a budget thing, like a $50 deck. You're not going to put a dockside in there, you know, or maybe try an artisan build. Like you find a commander that's right. uncommon, just make it an artisan build. Like, and you can try and build it as powerful as you want, and it will still be powerful, but it will have a different texture to it. It'll have a different feel, and most of these expensive staples just won't exist within these confines. And you never know, you might find something that's an alternative that you might actually prefer. Like for me, my favorite bounce spell pretty much ever is Ether Spouts. Mm-hmm. It is just such an enormous tempo hit. It makes people think, ha, look at him. He's tapped out too far. He's he's really, really overextended. Let me just crack back. And oh, no, all of my attacking creatures are on the top <laughs> or bottom of my library. Oh, God, no. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, oh, that feels good. But yeah. I didn't know about that until I went looking for it. And when you go looking for these things, you start finding all of these cool and interesting cards. And this ties in from something I think I said last week. But 
Also, keep a little brewer's notebook. It could be a notepad, uh, like, saved on your desktop, or it could be a physical pen and paper. Just note down all of these cool cards that you come across, and then if you're trying to find something to fit into a deck where you want to find an alternative for something, just go check your brewer's notebook. You never know. You might have put something in there. I, I, I have one of those. I have a notepad that's mm-hmm. open on my desktop all the time. That's called EDH Gets. And oh. every time I see a cool card on Twitter or in somebody else's brew, I make a note of it so that I can go mm-hmm. back to it. And when I'm building, I, I take a look at them. I've got them sorted out by color and everything. So I'm like, I got to commit that one to memory because I'm going to end up using that one somewhere. But but to your point yeah. about uh, the challenges and the restrictions on mm. yourself, I love it. I love building to a challenge or building to a restriction. I can't turn down a challenge. I like I, I physically can't. Somebody says, "I dare <laughs> you to do this." I'm like, "Sure, I'll do it. Let's see." <laughs> uh, like uh, I think that that creates the moments where you sit down at a pod and you're excited to show off your deck because yeah. you're excited to show off what you've done that that build that challenge that you've given yourself and other yeah. people are excited to see it as well yeah. uh, i i built uh as a challenge i built uh the ur dragon in a deck called you're kidding me you are kidding me okay. uh, where every card name needed you are in okay. in the name <laughs> of the card so everything was er 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 and it was a, a challenge to build it caused me mm-hmm. to to do something that i don't normally do and that's just like a strict name search mm-hmm. in a scryfall and then taking all of those and finding the synergy between them yeah. and seeing if you can build something that works on that theme and that concept but mm-hmm. typically you you would sit down in a pod against the ur dragon and you're like oh shit well here we go. It's a, <laughs> a it's a dragon deck. We're gonna get stomped, and and then you start busting out these cards that people have never heard of before, and you're like, guess why I'm running this? Guess why I'm running this? Guess why I'm running this? Uh, and, and you you just get to grin ear to ear as you like yeah. dash someone's expectations, and then you see it dawn on them, and and they're like, okay, well that's that's a really cool concept. But yeah. sometimes you do have to sit down. You've got to say, like, this isn't your, your typical Ur-Dragon deck. This isn't your typical Urza deck. I've played against Lenny's Urza deck yeah. a dozen times at this point, and I love it. But he's always got to sit down and he's got to say, this isn't the kind of Urza deck that you're expecting. <laughs> uh, it, it, but that's a good thing. And, yeah. and th- I think that that helps promote the pregame talks that are, are necessary as well uh, to set everybody up, too. Because if you're saying, look, I built this on a $50 budget, somebody's not going to bring out their you know, $5,000 deck that's running, you know, true duels and tutors. And if you have that conversation, you say, look, we're going to play something a little lighter, a little goofier, like let's have some fun with it. Then typically if you open up that conversation, which a lot of people are frightened to do, Mm -hmm. everybody's going to end up having a better time because everybody's going to get to enjoy and see what people are doing and revel in each other's enjoyment. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things that I think a lot of people don't even think about, let alone focus on, when it comes to changing out these staples and making these shifts within your own deck building and that kind of thing, is it's not just to save yourself money, it's not just uh, to like alter the power level or something, but it is to just allow the format itself to be a healthier space in which to brew and stuff in general. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things is the domino effect that it can have, right? Because I, with my own playgroup, 
we were playing like generally speaking relatively high power level um not like ridiculous but like it was a little bit high to the point that if i came along with something that was a little more silly or a little lower powered that just you know maybe the pieces weren't there to be able to make a properly good good deck that you know it would get stomped more regularly than others but when it did the thing it was a lot of fun it was really wild and people had a great time and then a lot of people in the playgroup started adjusting similar things. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the only person in there that was doing this. It was a couple of us. But people started playing and making more interesting decks because they weren't using just staples for this stuff or they were taking a different approach to the way that they build the decks because, oh, it, f- it fits more in with the kind of thing that they were doing before. Or, like, I liked the weird thing that they did. I want to try and emulate that with something else or maybe in a different color or something. Mm-hmm. And... Like, my own playgroup now is very, very healthy where we have a wide range of different power levels each so that we can all adjust to whatever we feel like doing at the time. But in the broader sense, and I think some of this lies on creators as well because it's what an awful lot of the the non-vocal majority of people see is the creators and their decks and builds and stuff is that if they're all including these things, they feel the need to include them. Like, they'll all have the rifts and stuff then they're going to feel like they're going to have to shell out for that stuff, which means that, it, like we were saying earlier, perpetuates the sense of the nitro-casual kind of power level. But the more of that that we change within our own decks, the more other people will see it, the more they will be inclined to change because they see the good experience that you're having mm-hmm. and will want to have some of that enjoyment for themselves. Because no one looks at people having fun and goes, I don't want to do that. Right. You know? You want to be a part of things because you're human. It's it's part of being human. You want to be a part of it. You want to have these good experiences. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not demonizing any of these cards or anything because, like, if you want to play high power in CDH and that's your jam, do it. Absolutely. 100%. But I genuinely believe there are so many people playing at that power level that will have a better time in the format at lower power levels or with different cards because they're just a little bit more synergistic or a little bit wonky or there's more dramatics to them or that kind of thing. And I think that is super, super important to keep in mind that maybe put in the Rivers Rebuke instead. Someone will appreciate the fact that they didn't get hosed because they weren't the threat, you know, and then they will see that like, maybe it's not all just psych rift or bust, you know, and yep. that that is a huge impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love, I love telling the story. Uh, I, I've got a, a friend in uh, one of my play groups who is a, hardcore modern grinder mm. uh and he he hates commander absolutely hates <laughs> commander thinks it's a, it's a stupid format despite all of our friends playing but he always comes out to commander night and he always borrows yeah. a deck uh and he always criticizes it he's like this is a <laughs> this is a bad card why are you playing this this is a bad card why would anybody play this and one night i sat him down with my all one threes deck so it's one three mm-hmm. tribal where every creature in the deck is a one three <laughs> uh and he he sits down and he plays it begrudgingly uh and he draws his opening hand and he's like all these cards are terrible all these cards are terrible and as he's playing through the game he's like okay that interaction's pretty cool uh <laughs> okay all right Okay, I've got the engine online now. I see what this mm-hmm. does. Okay, that that's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> so so seeing that like that transition just over a game of somebody going from like commander stupid to this deck stupid to this deck can do some things to this is actually really fun yeah. just shows that like sometimes watching somebody go through that process or getting their hands on something that they're not used to and realizing the the joy in it. 
and uh, seeing what's gone into deck building and interaction between cards that actually feels really good whether mm-hmm. you're across from it whether you're piloting it uh and it it does bring joy and whatever whatever brings joy for you and your play group i'm all for if if your play group is like let's go nitro casual let's go cdh yeah. whatever it might be as long as everybody's consenting fantastic but if you haven't had that conversation with what everybody wants out of the format and everybody's yeah. slowly drifting towards the higher end of the curve sit down and have that talk hey are we comfortable with where we're at right now are we good with this what kind of game do we want to play because a lot of people assume that their play group is okay with what they're playing right now from personal experience, that's not the case. Sometimes people just don't speak up, yeah. right? Sometimes you just need to touch base and just make sure everyone's cool. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's it. So, Chris, this has been a great chat. It's been really good. Like, in, in some ways, it feels like we've like both imparted knowledge, but it also kind of feels a little bit like we got to vent a bit at each other for <laughs> for the the state of commander and like deck building and stuff in general because i know that i know that for me anyway when i immediately open a deck and i see all these staples i'm like okay i have to try and think of like what this deck would look like if it had the pieces that actually fit it properly mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing like i you know maybe that's just me being hardwired at this point to being a budget brewer and and creator and stuff but i feel like you have like some level of empathy with that kind of thing as well so this is really good absolutely uh and look i i see a lot of people's deck lists people submit me deck lists all the time hey chris can Mm -hmm. you get your eyes on this one can you give me your feedback on this one and like when i see that 20 cards are the same between lists uh, like I, I, I wince just a little bit uh, because I think unless they're basics. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but like it, it, again, it, it gives me just that moment of like, hey, imagine if you were playing like cool cards in yeah. this list. Like, uh, ima- imagine what would go into this if you were playing more synergistic pieces, something that did something with your commander or something that had a higher ceiling on it as opposed to a floor. Uh, but look again if that's the game that people want to play I'm not going to tell them not to play that Mm -hmm. but I am going to say like hey instead of running X try Y instead alright so to round out the episode let's do a little bit of Q&A fantastic first up from Muntu Light Chris do you at any point intend to start streaming games on your channel ooh uh, this is something that I've considered I, I have considered uh, streaming on Twitch, uh, mm-hmm. and I've considered potentially doing gameplay on my YouTube channel as well. Uh, recently, uh, one of my friends, Proxy Lab, uh, has a very, very good recording setup set up in his nice. basement. Uh, we got to do a charity stream just earlier this month uh, that showed that off quite a bit. Uh, so uh, potentially going to try something like that. So you might see some gameplay over on YouTube uh, for that. But as for streaming to Twitch with gameplay, if I do that, it's going to be few and far between. My schedule is largely brewing, writing, and editing right now. Mm-hmm. Putting the extra time into organizing pods and wrangling people. Oh, it it, yeah. it is a lot, as you can attest, Scott. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? Save yourself the hassle. Just come back on to Risky Keeps. You'll be fine. Anytime, anytime you'll have me, I'm there. 
Uh, every week, so. Uh, <laughs> every Wednesday at 5 p.m. EST. Yeah, and then also, Montu Light wants to know, what is your favorite budget brew? Oh, I've, I've done so many budget brews. Uh, I typically like to keep things at like a $50 level for budget yeah. brews, uh, and I've done some really cool ones at that. I think my favorite from a uh, uh, an actual playing standpoint is Zatahedron Grinder. I oh, yeah. always go back to Zada. Um, and uh, honestly, it's because it plays all of the pieces that you never see in any other deck. Zada yeah. plays so many cards that are like, hey, that can fit into a, uh, a Goblin Tribal deck. But also, mm-hmm. like, 90% of the cards in the deck are like, you never see them anywhere else in Commander. Like, yeah. basic pump spells, like a Titan Strength, there's mm-hmm. maybe one or two other decks in the format that would want to play that card. But in Zada Hedron Grinder, like we talked about overrun effects. With Zada, yeah. a, a Titan Strength is an overrun effect. Everything yeah. in your deck is an overrun effect. And then cantrips. Cantrips are like draw mm. a card for each creature you control in addition to pumping all of your creatures as well. It's one of my favorite synergistic piles to play that is so explosive as well. Uh, and uh, with Stormkiln Artist that was added from Strixhaven oh, yeah. last year, it is so good. Suddenly, uh, Zada and Stormkiln are like every spell you cast is now mana positive. So every yeah. spell you cast pumps, cantrips, and is a ritual now as well. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. It is just my favorite pile that is like you, you can't do anything wrong in this yeah. deck. <laughs> Yeah, it's really sweet. I think one of my favorite cards that has shown up recently in Zada decks is Kick in the Door. Yes. From Forgotten Realms. It's yep. a single red mana sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. So Zada will copy it for all your creatures. They gain haste and can't be blocked by walls and then venture into the dungeon. So yep. like if you have a handful of tokens, you just complete a dungeon like twice. You, yeah, you speed <laughs> run those dungeons immediately. It is, it is one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. especially now I've been toying with putting in the new initiative uh, generators yeah. in there too just for the synergy with kicking the door because mm-hmm. once you uh, complete that uh, Undercity dungeon the the last room on it is like uh, well it's like reveal X cards cast one for free yeah. like it, it's so good like it just the value in it is so so good uh, and yeah. speedrunning those dungeons is funny when it's like, okay, it's so I'll, I'll explore the dungeon uh, eight times. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. <laughs> it is really, really good. And Multilite also wanted to point out uh, for me that they really enjoyed the Gale brew that I did. It was Gale, Waterdeep Prodigy, and Raised by Giants. Nice. Um, Travis Norman um, hilariously called it a vegan is a deck because it's a <laughs> Simic uh, spell slinger pump spells kind of deck. <laughs> That's and, right uh, up your alley. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's a, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then Ev the Mage asks, what are some commanders that even with restrictions are overly oppressive? Ooh, okay. I have one. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the classic go-to on this one is Turgrid, God of Fright. I think yeah. it, it's it's the one that's on everybody's lips when they talk about just the commander that when it hits the table, uh, the, the game turns into it needs to be removed or mm-hmm. everybody loses everything yeah. all the time. It, it, that, that is one where when Turgrid was revealed, I was very, very excited. I was like, this does so many cool things. And I sat down to build and I found that the deck just built itself. Yeah. 
and then everything that was included in that deck was just terrible for everyone at the table. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it was just one of those, like, if I play this deck, everybody's going to be miserable all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and I don't think that it's possible to build with Turgrid at the helm and not be oppressive. Uh, so that, that's my go-to when somebody says, like, is, is there a commander that, like, you, you would never build? Turgrid's number one on my list. It's just yeah. nobody's going to have fun playing that deck. Yeah, that makes sense. The one for me, um, though I am building it, <laughs> is uh, Hinata Dawncrowned. Now, I'm right. doing the gumball restriction on it, but mm -hmm. even with that, some of those X spells, because they don't see play anywhere else, they're mm -hmm. dirt cheap. And... For those that don't know, Hinata makes spells cost one less to cast for each target. So if you have an X spell, like Curse of the Swine, for example, is X blue blue, exile to X target creatures and turn them into two two boars. Because you pay an extra one to make an extra target, it's basically blue blue, exile all creatures on the board that you choose. Mm -hmm. And it's effectively one-sided board wipes or like yep. very, very specific targeted removal for multiple things. And it's incredibly powerful. And... Like I said, even with these the gumball restriction, I have to rein it in like really hard because as I'm building it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I don't want to play against this. I don't yeah. know why I'm going to continue building it if I'm going to keep these cards in. So yeah, that is definitely one that you have to like be consciously aware of and actively not put in certain cards, even if they are within the restriction. Yep. For sure. Yeah, like there's a... Uh, Aether Wave, I think it's called. It's Aether something. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's three blue X uh, return X target creatures to their owner's hands. Yeah. Uh, and if you couple that with your own, like, Archaeomancer, for instance, for seven mana, you can mm -hmm. be bouncing all creatures every turn, yeah. uh, which is like a soft lock on the board, <laughs> which is, yeah. is miserable to play against, but would probably fit that gumball restriction as well so you've got to be mm -hmm. very careful about how you brew in that well yeah. when i built my my Hinata deck on the channel i was like we're gonna be bad people for building this y'all <laughs> like this is not the kind of deck that you build and are happy with like everybody's yeah. gonna be miserable <laughs> <laughs> and then somewhat related uh, ev also asks who's really high power no matter what Ooh, i i think that um two of the uh eldraine brawl commanders uh, Hulane and Corvold. Yeah. I think yeah. that no, no matter how you build those two, they're gonna be they're gonna be really good. They're gonna be really high power level. Corvold, mm -hmm. especially with how much treasures have uh, invaded the format, especially this mm -hmm. year alone, uh, being able to sack a treasure and draw a card as well as generate a mana is just really, really good. Like that, yeah. you you can't like you're gonna oops into wins in that mm -hmm. by just like casting um like an unexpected windfall where you yeah. you know discard a card draw to make two treasures sacrifice those two treasures for mana draw two more cards mm -hmm. like interactions with these penny commons in a deck like Horvold, it's like it's it's real good you can't just you can't not be real good and that just yeah. speaks to synergy as well like it's yeah. these these synergy engine commanders no matter what you do if you build towards that ceiling on mm -hmm. them they're going to be high power yeah agreed for me i think anything that lets you do something an additional time or that triggers something an additional time 
because unless you're actively pushing against what they're specifically doing, like take Ishii in Two Heavens as one. Yep. It's an aggressive Mardu commander that let's be real, if you're building that, you're building it with stuff in there that is going to trigger when you attack or when someone attacks you. And if you're not doing that, you're actively just building away from the commander. So taking that away from it. If you're working with the commander, basically no matter what, Ishin is like ridiculous. Same with like Yarok is yeah. absurd. Absolutely absurd. Like we'll almost definitely go infinite with the ham sandwich. It's yeah. ri- it's ridiculous. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, okay, save some yeah. removal for that first. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yar- Yarok is one of those that like with Hinata, even like the penny commons yeah. are really, really good when you double up on effects like that like when you've got the panharmonicon in the command zone like Mm. it it's real good like you're just gonna be good no matter what yeah and then jamie c good friend of mine asks you need to make a team of six creatures from the world of magic to take on the original elite four in pokemon red what six creatures do you choose love it love it Uh, okay this question is near and dear (laughs) to my heart uh, because I I am just recently uh, getting a bunch of creatures altered uh, by Alterist Alpha Omega alters uh, with Pokemon Sweet. art on them. I picked up an Obosh with a Nidoking nice. on it. Um, and Nidoking's my favorite Pokemon ever. Uh, I, I love Pokemon. I, I have loved Pokemon as long as I've loved magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Nidoking is my favorite Pokemon. He showed me that altar and I was like, yes. I'll take it. Uh, shut up and take my money. Um, <laughs> so uh, that that's made me want to put together my uh, Florian Obosh deck okay. uh, and make it a Dragon's Approach deck so that when I fire off the tutor from Dragon's Approach, I can mm-hmm. go search up a dragon with a Pokemon on it and say, you know, I choose you, and then throw the, the Pokemon <laughs> into play. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, which is, which is hilarious fun. But the creatures, I, I'm getting six uh, five in addition to the Obosh altered. Um, mm. So I've got my full team of six, and I am a poison awesome. trainer at heart. So they're all going to be poison Pokemon. Uh, but the Pokemon are uh, Obosh, the Prey mm-hmm. Piercer, as Nidoking. Um, Professional Face Breaker as Toxicroak. Nice. Uh, Gray Merchant of Asphodel as Salazzle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, Obsidian Charmaw as crowbat mm-hmm. dracuseth maw of flame as charizard x nice and we've got ancient brass dragon as gengar Ooh. so that's my team of six yes nice that's pretty <laughs> sick that is pretty sick yeah I, I love it i can't wait i cannot wait he's working on them right now as soon as they're done i'm gonna show them off oh they're so good oh do do uh i don't have a, a fantastic <laughs> alter deck plan um but i did do a little bit of thinking before the show about this um i would have Nezahal primal tide probably as my main where you know i'm just gonna keep spamming hydro pump like that's mm-hmm. fine you know um i've always been a big fan of absol so yes. ravenous chupacabra i think is like the nearest kind of analog to that scrap trawler because i kind of like steel pokemon and stuff mm-hmm. and you know it, it sort of fits my sort of vibe you always need a big flaming punch fucker and for me it's combustible gear hulk yeah like Love easy it. easy and um, by the way if you ever play a combustible gear hulk 
against me, I will make you mill the cards every time. I will roll <laughs> that dice every time. Yeah. No questions asked. Wandering Archaic as like my HM slave. Because like <laughs> it, it looks like the kind of HM slave, right? It's just like, yeah, you, you probably know cut and fly somehow and well, surf. Yeah, maybe with, with six arms, it's like, okay, you can punch a boulder with one, you can yeah, yeah. slash a bush with the other. Like, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the final one, I think could be Peregrine Drake, just because in case Wandering Archaic can't fly, but also it just looks cool. You know, yep. I don't really care much about the stats. It just looks sweet. So yeah, that'd it. be mine. Love it. And then finally, Dr. Unks asks, do you know of other creative ways to play limited commander like Boxing League or Commander Cube? Ooh. Mm. I, I love Commander Cube. Uh, yeah. I, I had a Commander Cube before I started my channel. And then I cannibalized it to make like the <laughs> dozen decks that I have. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I always love Commander Cube, and uh, I uh, really enjoyed the draft format for um, Battle for Baldur's Gate. Uh, oh yeah! It like I think draft Commander is really really fun. Yeah. Um, but the caveat to that is that it takes a lot of time, like. A, yeah, a lot of time like you're you're looking at six hours just to draft and play one pod kind of thing like it is really well i six hours is an exaggeration uh <laughs> i i think uh at the pre-release that i went to in richmond for command fest it was four hours uh one for draft one for building then two for the first pod Oh, okay. uh, and having four hours eaten up just for draft mm. building and one game uh, was entirely too much. Like that's that's, that's the majority yeah. of your day, kind of yeah. thing. But uh, like I I still really enjoy drafting, which is why I I think I'd prefer cube over like crack a pack drafting mm. for commander um, because cube you can you know play one game throw everything back in the cube shuffle yeah. it up next time. Right. Uh, I really like Boxing League as well. I like limited leagues. I like add-a-pack leagues as opposed to Boxing mm. Leagues because not everybody can afford to buy a box and build from yeah. a box. Um, so uh, starting from a pre-con first, mm. where everybody sits down, everybody buys a pre-con, sits down with a pre-con, and then every, every week you add a couple of packs to that yeah. pre-con and you pull from that. I like that better than Boxing League because, again, sometimes buying a box is just out of people's reach. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Just to touch back on the, the Baldur's Gate, like I agree with how good the format is. I, th I think it depends on the sort of circumstances to sort of how long it might take because my pre-release also took like five hours where we got one game in and mm -hmm. that was it. But after that, when I was in Command Fest Birmingham, we got in, in addition to our like five or six commander games that day, we got in two drafts each day. Oh, wow. Because the pod was kind of made up of my playgroup and a couple of other people that we hadn't met yet. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing with people you don't really know, you're kind of compelled to keep things a little bit more on track a bit more. And mm -hmm. then, because you don't want to keep them sitting, waiting around while you're making inside jokes or something, you know. The deck building part, we were all done in about like 30 minutes or something, maybe. Like we kind of just were slapping the decks together being like, let's be real we're splitting whatever the prizes are here. Right. So it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. it's fine. Just throw some dumb stuff together and it's okay. And like, you know, if you want to go that route, it, it's good for getting a bit more in. But, you know, I could see wanting to like deliberate over your choices to get like a nicely crafted deck and stuff. But, you know, to each their own. Mm -hmm. If you can streamline that draft environment 
and, yeah. and you can get it down to something efficient. I I love limited commander like that, like a draft yeah. format commander. Love it. Same, same. So, Chris, thank you very much for coming along and having chats with me today. Really thank appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. This has been fantastic. Excellent. Before we head off, do you want to let the folks at home know one more time who you are and where they can find you? Uh, well, one more time. Uh, hey, folks, I'm Chris, and I'm your Commander Mechanic. Uh, you can find me everywhere content is made. Look for the Orange Wrench or search Commander Mechanic uh, on YouTube primarily, where I do multiple videos a week about deck building, build tips, brew tips, deck building advice. Uh, I write every other week for Commander's Herald as well for crafting a better play experience before you ever sit down at a table. And Scott, uh, as always, thank you, my friend, for having me. This has been fantastic. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Anytime at all. Now, just to get you on another episode of Risky Keeps. Hmm. Yeah, 100%. <laughs>Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Com, Kilgore Trev 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Mini Maya, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jeskai, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, Tim Newman and Patrick Newman. And at the Stonks tier, we have A Nice Planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz-Matson, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nurblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We cannot thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.